All right. Welcome, Elder Jackson, to my office today. I'm grateful to take this time to stand before you as the representative of the Lord and ask you some questions before you enter his holy house. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Can we uh, can we sit, though? <laughs> I prefer let... if you stand. <laughs> oh, okay, we're going to do this whole meeting standing. Sounds good. Yeah. And take your pants off. <laughs> oh, what? I've just been, from the last couple episodes, I'm just a little bit on the roll with the pervy bishop yeah, humor yeah so. i uh I, I can tell if i was an yeah. editing man i might edit that part out but i don't oh, edit this podcast this podcast so, so. uh Here let's we go. get into well, it i think it's interesting we found each other of course on the ex-mormon subreddit we have mutual friends in calgary and we've been doing this podcast and we've been talking about mormonism a lot but i realized we actually don't really know anything about each other <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up in Calgary, uh, yeah, like South Calgary. South Calgary, born and which, raised. Which I'm a, neighborhood? I'm a Southie. Uh, Millrise, Evergreen, Cranston, Mackenzie Town. Oh, really? Like the really relatively like, new communities? Yeah, like deep South, okay. newer communities. In, okay. In South Calgary, yeah. And so, like, we've talked a little bit about kind of our early lives in Mormonism, but you were a very devout, committed, mm-hmm. kind of Pharisaical kind of Mormon. Super. Yeah. Like I grew up like church, church was what we did. Like that was just, that was just the thing. Um, and it, yeah, that was just normal life. Like Tuesday was one activity. Wednesday was another, you know, Monday was family home evening. Does. Yeah. And your, your parents split up, but you were young. Is that right? Yeah. I was, when they split up, I was like four or five when they got divorced. So I don't even remember it. Like, I think okay. I got lucky as far as like div- parents of Divorces go. divorce or children, a child of divorce can get. Cause I right. don't remember any of it. Like, yeah, I have no, I have no memory of my parents together. And are, like, were they both converts? I know we've kind of, like we talked about this throughout the series, you yeah. mentioned it, but they're both converts. to the Yeah. Church. So like more or less, I would say, I think, so my dad was definitely a convert. He was raised Catholic. So I mm-hmm. also grew up going to Catholic mass. Like I've brought that up a couple times on the show, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I've told my experience doing uh, confession before. That was fun. Um, Tell us about it. So I was at a Catholic conference and there was, and like, I was there because I, I was friends with somebody who was like organizing it. And I'm always fascinated, you know, like I don't believe in any of it. But I'm fascinated by the stories we tell each other, right? The stories we tell ourselves and how different cultures choose to express that. And so I go to this Catholic conference and at one point they have like mass confession going on. They had like 10 priests there in different areas of this giant Catholic church and everybody like lined up and I got in line and went and confessed my sins to this priest and I told him I, I said I've never done this before he says well have you been baptized I say yeah into another denomination he says okay well did he, just... did he offer to give you a sprinkling no no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay so <Sorry. laughs> uh but yeah then I went through the confession process and yeah uh, he absolved me of my sins and right yeah so like I'm you know that's kind of the scenario I grew up in my dad was like How... an altar boy kind of catholic level like it wasn't like they weren't the Easter Christmas kind of Catholics. It was mm-hmm. 
we are Catholic. We're there every single Sunday. My grandma was part of the Catholic Women's Society or Catholic Women's League, CWL, and um, like very hardcore, very serious about it. And, um, and so that's kind of where it came from on my dad's side. He got baptized when he was 19. And then my mom, she was baptized at eight by, I'm assuming the missionaries or something, because uh, mm-hmm. her dad was never a member. Her mom technically was, but was never super active. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, it's not pioneer stock or anything. Like it's a pretty recent in our family, the only ones who go to church are like my parents and my siblings. So how do you, do you think that colored your experience or do you feel like you were ever kind of like a outsider because you didn't come from pioneer stock in a very densely Mormon area or. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really feel weird about it. You know, like I had good relationships with my family and Mm -hmm. so it's not something that uh, really ever concerned me. I did feel a little bit of like cousin jealousy because I had mm. all these friends who had all these Mormon cousins. I only had four cousins and they weren't Mormon. And so sometimes I would feel a little bit like, oh, like I don't have that same close relationship in the church that they do. Yeah. Um, but growing up now, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that's probably a good thing. It made me mm-hmm. more open to leaving when I realized it wasn't true rather than saying, oh, well, this is like my family history, right? Yeah, yeah. So when, like, how old were you when you uh, started having doubts? Or wait um, a minute, tell me about how you dropped out of high school. Okay. <laughs> because you're a very smart guy. And every time you talk about like being younger, you were this kind of fully participating, mm-hmm. believing kid. So just dropping out of high school seems very, very inconsistent with the ideal Mormon kind of stories that you also tell. Yeah, dropping out of high school was kind of uh, part of my pharisaical behavior because I thought I was like, oh, they're, you know, the education system's corrupt. And like, so for me, it was like part of my like crusade. Like mm-hmm. it was part of that whole experience was like the education's corrupt and they're desensitizing kids and it's this problem and that problem with it. And so that was that was part of me leaving high school and then I started to do it online through like this Catholic program and I never really finished because I didn't care. Like I didn't mm-hmm. care to do it. Some might describe that as laziness. And <laughs> a lazy uh, learner. Yeah. Yeah. Lazy learner. I might, yeah, <clears throat> I might've described myself that way. So how did your parents react to that when you're just like the education system's corrupt? Um, start sounding like Batman, you're fighting the power. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't really remember. I think my mom has always been incredibly patient and loving with me. I had a lot of anger right. problems growing up as a kid, like right. super anger problems. Like, I think back now, like if I had a kid that was like me, they'd be uh-huh. in an institution in a heartbeat. Like, I was not a good kid. I was not great to deal with. And so I think for them, it was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, just be nice to him and try and help him out and uh, Mm -hmm. be there for him is kind of the, the sense that I got. Um, They didn't really, they didn't egg on my rah, rah, angstiness. 
uh, they weren't into that. They thought, you know, that I was crazy and taking it too seriously, like we've talked about on the show before. So, yeah, yeah it, it was mostly, I think what was feeding that was my own personal desire to have that witness that I hadn't gotten. So I was trying to do like everything super right so that I could have that witness, so that I could be worthy is where that was coming from. So you so desperately wanted a witness of the Book of Mormon that you dropped out of a corrupt school system. Yeah. To, like in like in your mind, that's what you were thinking. Yeah, that was, was like my reasoning as, as I a will kid. give this ultimate sacrifice to God. Yeah. And then he'll give me a witness. Yeah. It was like everything that I did had to do with this obsessive, I need to do it right by God mm-hmm. kind of attitude. So how, okay, so you drop out of high school. How old are you when you drop out of high school? 17. Well, so, yeah. What, or was, sorry, like what grade were you in? Oh, you uh, it was out? like halfway through grade 11 when I left like physical high school. And then I did those online classes that lasted till I was almost 19. Okay, so like physically you dropped out of high school and then you just kind of tried doing the online thing till you were 19. Yeah. And then, so like, what else were you doing? And how were you kind of perceived in the church? Uh, I like did nobody all the church cared? stuff. Yeah, nobody talked about it. Like right? it, wasn't okay. a, it wasn't a conversation. You know, if, if any bishop or anything asked about it, it was just like, oh, he's doing it online, right? Like that was the right. thing. And so oh, okay. it was, you know, never seen... They, they never talked about that or asked about me leaving high school because um, I was doing it online, right? Uh, incredibly slowly, but I was doing it. Uh, and yeah, so that was never a huge issue. And I did all the church stuff. I showed up. I, you know, passed and blessed and prepared the sacrament. And I, um, yeah, I towed, towed the line, went to the temple to do baptisms every month, like, yeah. And then, so when did you, so you've dropped out of high school, you're doing the online thing, mm-hmm. you're 19 years old. Like, did you get a job or were you just slumming at mom and dad's house pretending to do high school online? I did have a job. Yeah, I, yeah. I've always worked uh, since right. I was 15 or 14 was when I first got a job. And, um, and so like, I always, I always had a job and when I was doing it online, I took up more hours because right, right. I had the time and flexibility to do that. And then you worked for the world famous, uh, dry cleaner. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was a tower monkey. As they right. Call Any them. of our listeners. Yeah. Our listeners from. If Calgary you know, you know. know. Yeah. Yeah. If you know about the dry, dry cleaning empire in the Mormon church in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I didn't start there though until a little later on, I did like a lot of retail. Like I worked at the Gap and I uh, did landscaping for an old young men's leader and whatever. And then I went and became a tower monkey. You were exalted. Yeah. To the celestial kingdom of pre-mission work. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But then you end up coming to the conclusion that you don't want to be a member of the church anymore or, or sorry, that the church isn't true. Like at what point in time does that happen and what kind of things trigger that? I think I was 20 and it was, I was still being heavily encouraged to go on a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, even when I was 18, I was teaching primary and I never bothered teaching the lessons because I was like, why? Like it was so obsessed with all these technical things. And I mm-hmm. thought, why don't I just teach these kids to be nice to people? 
And so we'd go outside and walk around like the church property and look at bugs and hang out, you know. Did you have a partner or were you all by yourself? I had a partner, but he never showed up. <laughs> so so you were like, I just, I don't want to project or anything, but I just want to point out how unsafe this practice is <laughs> that these children were just with someone, not saying anything about you, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, just I did. pointing to a, another famous Mormon podcast, yeah, or I, if you know, you know. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did leave. I did leave the door open. Right. Uh, and one of the kids kept like moving the garbage can out of the way of the door. And I was like, oh no, leave the, leave the garbage can there. And he's like, why, why? I want to mm -hmm. close the door. I'm like, you can't close the door. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And he's like, why not? And I was like, well, what do I, <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like, just leave it open kid <laughs> <laughs> for fresh air. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, yeah. So it was like, as a primary teacher, I kind of, I didn't care for like the technical things. I stopped. Mm -hmm. I slowly stopped caring about those things because I was coming out of this extremism. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I think I slowly started picking that apart and started so like being what, more relaxed. Like what calmed the extremism? Was it just, I'm growing out of it. It was a phase or you're, was it hoping against hope and the signs not coming and you're really starting to say, maybe this isn't what I thought it was or. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. Um, it was a bit of that and then probably a bit of just like social necessity, right? Because right. now I was the weird one, even with Mormon friends. You're weird for a Mormon. Yeah. 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 And so out of social necessity, I, I had to change as well, right? So it was a kind of right. combination yeah. of that. Um, and so I made, you know, I, I made those adjustments. It was slow, slow moving, but I got out of it and... Uh, eventually by, by 20, I became nuanced enough to realize that this was probably not true. Like, what was it? Was it just, uh, you weighed it in your mind? Was yeah. there a particular, I just thought like, about was there it. a particular thing that made you say, yeah, this is all cock and bull story or. Yeah. Yeah. I literally, I, I just put my mind to it. I remember, um, there were a couple experiences like hearing missionaries talk about how like you pray about the Book of Mormon, if it's true, then Joseph is a prophet. And if that, then the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the true church. That logic mm -hmm. doesn't follow though, because lots of churches take the Book of Mormon as gospel and Joseph Smith as a prophet, mm -hmm. right? So I was like, well, that yeah. doesn't really make sense. And I started thinking through other things in the church yeah. and, and being like, oh, that doesn't really make sense either and this doesn't and that doesn't and slowly started to pick apart and then i remember standing outside of a lesson where the sisters were they were standing there and we had just met with a guy who was uh, into scientology and they didn't really understand so i explained afterwards what scientology was and they're like what that's that's crazy how could anybody ever believe that and i'm still friends with these two sisters too they're really right. nice people but they're like, how could anybody believe that? And I was like, we literally believe that a guy 2000 years ago died for us. And then he came and saw some kid in upstate New York and was like, hey, uh, here's a book. You know, here's, here's the truth. Here's the mysteries of the universe. I'm like, you know, yeah. And I just kind of looked at them. I was like, everybody believes something crazy. 
And I went away from that kind of with this realization of like, oh, do I want to believe something crazy? (laughs) Um, And then from there, I just, I decided church is good. I grew up in it. All my family's here, taught me good morals. I'll just stick around even if it's not true. Okay. So when you have those thoughts, because this interests me, whenever people say, well, the church has good values or the church has good morals. Did you, would you just say to yourself, well, the church has good morals or were there specific good things that the church taught that you thought were valuable? Cause I think everybody just uses it as a blanket term yeah. and they don't actually think about what good they, because there's not a lot of unique good things that they learn at church. Yeah. There, I mean, there are no good unique things. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I think for me, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a it was really just a blanket statement like it wasn't picking apart particular things i just thought Mm -hmm. i grew up with it and i turned out okay yeah and so i'll just stick around and do the same with my kids yeah so it's interesting you chose not to go on a mission right yeah yeah which to me is interesting because if a mission gives so much social status and makes you valuable as a marriage prospect. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose not to go on a mission, even though you wanted to live the Mormon life? Well, because as I like got out of that anger and Pharisee phase, mm-hmm. I started to just think more nuanced. And um, I didn't like evangelizing. Like I thought, right. who cares? Like who ca- yeah. who cares if I believe that? Or if I think this is a good way to live, like, mm-hmm. why does that matter? Why should it matter to anybody else? And originally it was because I was still waiting for my answer. I was still trying to get that. And then it kind of morphed into this anti-evangelism thing as it went on. And so I was just like, eventually, like I would always say, I'm preparing to go on a mission is what I would mm-hmm. tell people, which was yeah. me praying and trying to find the answers in the scriptures and stuff. And then eventually it turned into... I'm just not going because it's not my place to tell somebody else what to believe. But you didn't like, did you, yeah, did I you see, see the value I of see the, going, like in terms of the, yeah. you're like, I want to live the Mormon life. If I'm going to marry a Mormon girl, I need to go on a mission. Like, how did you weigh the pros and cons of that? I could see that the, that I was at the time where it was just shifting, where mm-hmm. it was moving from, you can't get married if you haven't served a mission to, oh, people are a lot more understanding because guys were starting to do that with girls. Right, right. Right. And so because that shift was happening, mm-hmm. um, then I I felt socially okay to be like, yeah, I didn't go. Right. Whatever. Yeah. 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 That's interesting because I guess I've been out of the dating pool for so long. Yeah, there definitely would have been more pressures when you were kicking it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you choose not to go on a mission, and then you make the craziest decision ever to go down to Saudi Arabia, (laughs) Mormon Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. Rexburg, Idaho, Uh which, like, I mean, the only thing Rexburg can say is at least we're not – I don't even know if there's a crappier place than Rexburg. No. Yeah. No. So it is like – That's the thing. Like, there are so many nice people. I made so many good friends there. Right. But everybody's so deluded. Mm-hmm. And, well, not everybody, obviously. I was there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm undilutable. <laughs> um, 
there there were so many good people, but then there was also just this this weird underlying thing, like it was a cult within a cult. Was BYU yeah. Idaho? That's what, and they probably love it because they're like, well, we could execute somebody here for not being Mormon, and the yeah. chief of police would help us. Yeah, and that's why we live here, is because we could cut someone's head off for religious reasons, and no one would stop us. It's crazy. It's a yeah. really weird place, like really yeah. weird. So yeah. So what? Like, why did you decide to go to Mormon Saudi Arabia? It was the only school I could get into. I've. I, where else did you where else did you apply i well i dropped out of high school i didn't have oh, so you went you were going so you went to byu on campus as a pathway student yeah oh wow yeah it was my only university option and i also like there was a bit of me that was like maybe i'll go and i'll like figure it out there there was like still but a you little were bit still of hope. hoping I, yeah yeah there's still some right. hope and i at this point i had been kind of on the i don't really care for like two and a half years already right okay so you go to byu idaho and what was the craziest weirdest thing that happened like you've talked about byu idaho a few times is there anything we haven't talked about that stands out is just this place is nuts uh i think i've pretty much talked about it um it's uh i guess the only thing I'd add to all the other things I've said about it before is that like everybody's so into it and then there's this weird CD underbelly. And so it's just this <laughs> odd, it's this odd, odd place and uh, not healthy for anybody, you know. So tell, what's the CD underbelly like? Like, is that where oh. the, they're doing anal because it's not vaginal sex or like what? There was like banging going on every night in right. my first semester. Uh, right. Like everybody in my apartment, we kept all the rules. We had a no tattling rule though. Just, yeah. you know, we all kept every rule though. But then yeah. the guys above us, there would be like uh, like pitter patter of women's feet running around the apartment and squealing and giggling at like 2 a.m. on right. like Monday morning. Right. You know. And, uh, yeah, so it's weird and it hides that stuff. There was a big drug bust while I was there. Um, then it's weird seeing everybody get dressed up and then go to the eye center. That's like the mini conference center they have at BYU right. Idaho. And yeah. they like, everybody walks there for devotional every week. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Henry J. Iring gets up and, you know, will speak sometimes or they'll have like some and, professor speak and yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing every week, but everybody eats it up and gets their notebook out. And yeah, it's just, it's weird. It is very weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think now that you're talking about it, I think like our, the, they talk about virtue signaling and, and Mormonism. I think it's really because marriage is something that's so drummed into you. It's we virtue signal to show how eligible we are as a marriage prospect. Right. Yo, yeah, oh, big and time. It, that like, was huge. Just thinking about like the everybody has to talk about how great the devotional was so that they look spiritual to people who might want to go out with them. And they yeah. all have to pull out their notebooks, not because they're taking notes, but because they need to show that they're spiritual so that somebody will ask them on a date, right? Yeah. Well, at the beginning of everything, they they say, We invite you to demonstrate that you are uh ready to hear the words of the spirit and everybody holds up their book right. of Mormons and stuff. Yeah. Right. You know, 
Um, yeah, it's weird. And there's just all these little practices that are ingrained that everybody treats like it's totally normal. Like what, what would be the weirdest? Well, just the, the dressing up for devotional, like you're expected to get dressed up nice in the middle of the week to show up to this. Oh, it's like on a Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's like Tuesdays, Tuesdays in the middle of the day, no classes, everything's closed. Like exam centers closed. Like everybody's supposed to be able to show up. Was there like a, was it some, in some ways, like when you talk about the CD underbelly, was it in some ways like a reform school? I know my wife, my wife went to BYU, Idaho for a couple of semesters. And she said in, in a lot of ways, it was kind of like a reform school. Everybody sent their bad kids from California or whatever to try and fix them at BYU. So that's why all, all the bad kids end up getting together and just doing bad stuff at BYU, Idaho. I could see that. Yeah. I never like participated in that. So I didn't get like a front row seat or anything, right. but uh, yeah, I can see that. My mom went when it was Rick's and she said uh, that that was the only time in her life where she knew how much cocaine was, uh, was going <laughs> on the market. So, right. Like EFY is kind of the same way. Did you go to EFY? Yep. Yeah. I went to EFY a bunch of times and it was like always this weird, like you go and you get, you know, all nourished up. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have this grand spiritual experience and then you just kind of walk away like. (laughs) But EFY would have its own little weird, like makeout you know, underground makeout rings. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause it's, it's everybody sends their kids to EFY to fix them and give them a testimony, but then all the, the bad kids just find each other and, you know, form an underground black market of booze and debauchery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right it, the, yeah. EFY is the greatest week ever, mom. Send me there again. Cause I'm getting high with all my Mormon <laughs> friends. It is a weird yeah just uncomfortable like yeah just to to think you know how virtue signally the whole thing is right we have the best of the best and mission presidents do this with their missionaries too we have the best of the best and they're like i knew of stuff going on in the calgary mission missionaries making out with each other like you know like just mess up stuff and then yeah members i've talked to members who would like call the mission president and he was like no 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 not my missionaries really? best of the best oh yeah like total denial yeah about it you know so that there's there's another thing that made me not want to go on a mission i also had missionaries live with me growing up like for 10 oh, years really? as yeah. a kid yeah yeah and that just you know i was like missionaries aren't magic people you right. know I was kind of disillusioned with it because of that. Right. Very interesting. So, okay. So missionaries making out with each other in the Calgary mission, like elders and sisters. Yeah. 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 And they like put their greenies. They were both training. They put their greenies in the front seat. That sounds like an inevitability when they lower the age and make it more of an expectation. So more girls are going and, um, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Missions are, are different these days. Well, there's definitely, yeah. And I, I think like, I I'm wary of ever using the term these days. I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's stuff like that going on all the time anywhere. Sure. We just, I'd say, okay. I just say we had fewer sister missionaries. We, 
the sister missionaries that came out were generally older, you know, three or four years older. So they were less interested in immature 19 year old boys. And, uh, and they just tended to be less attractive because they were the people who couldn't get married. Right. So it was more like a, you have some elder who happens to be very mature for his age or at the end of his mission, when a 21 year old woman comes out and starts her mission and they, and sparks fly. Right. But that was more of a rare occurrence than an inevitability. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Like well, now it's just like, yeah, it happened. Yeah, I guess there are more just, sisters now, so, you know, maybe, maybe that's the case. And, and they're only a year apart instead of a lot of years apart. Right. right. Instead of it being the ones who didn't get married off at BYU, Idaho. Yeah. It's all of them now. And so it's, yeah, maybe it was just, you know, back in my day, it was like, you know, lightning, it was the odds of lightning striking. And then by changing the age limit on missionaries, they put out a lightning rod. Right. Right. And now like now it's going to happen. And I bet they want it to happen. This is me putting on a tinfoil hat. I don't mean to project here, but uh, um, I think they want it to happen. They want people to meet each other on their missions to get married so that they can come home and, and have uh, faithful babies. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that pretty much brings you to so you're at BYU Idaho, and I think you've talked about it before on the podcast about like the final thing that just pushed you over the edge, where you said, "This far, no further, I'm done." Like, can you just refresh us, refresh us on the thing that made you say, "This is it"? Yeah. So, like, I was there, and I was doing lots of dating, like a right. lot of dating, like over yeah. one date a week at right. BYU Idaho, yeah. and I just realized, like, I would be somebody's project. Right. And, uh, and I thought that would suck. (laughs) Like, right. That does not appeal to me. And like, these people are really taken with this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well maybe I'll stay and just like not do anything. Right. I'll just never get married. I'll just live my life. Right. And then I was like, wait a second, (laughs) that would be miserable. I'd be lying to myself the whole time. And so then eventually I decided, I was like, hey, when I'm done at BYU-Idaho, I'm going to leave. Like, that's it. Okay, so you actually, so you went to BYU and you were working on an education degree? Yeah. Like, first it was Pathway, and then you decided, why'd you decide to drop out of your education degree? Well, my visa got messed up. So, like, when I crossed the border, they marked me as a visitor instead of as a student. And it was yeah. in the middle of COVID, so it was hard to, like, just go across the border and come back, right? Right. And so I was trying to work with the Social Security office to get it sorted, and then mm-hmm. they delayed things. And then I found out they didn't put something in properly. Like, I called multiple times, and then finally a guy was like, oh, oh, yeah, they didn't put this in. What What's the answer for this? And I was like, oh, you know, 2023, whatever, April. And mm-hmm. he was like, oh, okay, yep, sent off. Uh, everything looks good. Homeland Security confirmed that you're all good to go. I'm like, what? But it was too late. And so I right. couldn't do my practicum So that semester. So it would have delayed just the way that the certain classes I had to take to graduate fell. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, de- it would have delayed my graduation with that education degree by a year. And I was like, right. I'm... I don't want to spend an extra year at BYU-Idaho. 
Right. Okay. So, so what I, are you like? Oh, sorry. So I was, I was done. I was like, yeah, that's it. So what are you still finishing up with at BYU Idaho? Um, yeah. So I actually just applied and got accepted to graduate with just an associates in like general oh, okay. studies. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing okay. interesting. So now you're uh, like, now you do content marketing and that's your full time. Uh, like that's what you're going to do. That's your career now. I, yeah. Until I decide to do something else, do something I guess. Different, right? I'm a very like indifferent person. I, I'm not looking for something that's going to make me a million dollars. You know, I, I do what I like and I'm liking this and I might stay, but I might also decide down the line to go get a different job or go get different education. I'm open to it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So like, have we, we've pretty much covered from your birth till now. Yeah. We've, we've covered uh, from my birth till now. Is it, is it time for your Mormon story? Sure. If you want. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'm, I, I. I actually know, I know your dad probably. You know my family, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I'm familiar with some of the stock that you come from. Very nice people. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. Um, what was like, I guess, what what was it like growing up in that? How was, you know, religion treated growing up? So it for me, I'm the oldest of six. And so my mom's side of the family is pioneer stock. My dad's side of the family, my grandparents were converts. And so most of my dad's siblings are inactive. He's got nine siblings and most of them are inactive. So I think my dad came from a place of my kids aren't going inactive like my siblings are. So he was very, very strict and a bit uptight with some, some things more so than others. And then my mom came from pioneer stock hmm. and she was a lot more legalistic with a lot of things. And I think I've mentioned this on the the show, right? So my dad was like, the big thing is, is that you go to all the activities, you keep the two big commandments, law of chastity, word of wisdom, and you stay active and you serve in the church. And that like, as long as you're doing that, my dad was pretty good. But my mom was more like, is this a PG 13 movie? Is this an R rated movie? You're going out with boys and girls. How many boys, how many girls? That sounds like a double date. And you went out with this girl, you know, the last weekend. So that sounds like steady dating. Like lots of legalism from my mom growing up. Right. 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 But overall, like my, those things stand out whenever I talk about my parents in relation to Mormonism, but Mm -hmm. that wasn't my parents all the time. Like my parents are wonderful, loving people uh, who kind of, you know, care about their kids. I'd say they're like their family comes first. The church comes second. Right. But yeah. I'd say they they had their own background, which kind of made them a little bit more intense at times when it came to me keeping the rules. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Did you, like, how did you feel about the rules growing up? I hated up? everything about being Mormon. Really? Yes. Interesting. That's like the total yeah. opposite of me. I hated Sunday school. I hated primary. I, you know, when I was younger... Like my earliest memories, I was about five. We lived in a ward that was very transitory, so it had students in it. And so it, it was like newlyweds, nearly deads. So from when I was in nursery to primary to sunbeams or whatever, like by the time I was seven, half the kids that I started primary with had just moved. Their parents graduated university, got their first job, bought a house out in the suburbs, gone. Right. Right. 
um, so I ended up with these two, with these three girls that just kind of bullied me, their brothers bullied them a lot. And then they just kind of passed the bullying on to me. And so I went to church. I was the only boy my age. Uh, I had these girls who were bullied by their brothers who declared like gender war on me. You know what I mean? And I'm just, I'm as far as I'm concerned, I'm just some kid showing up doing things that my parents wanted me to do. So church wasn't the place I wanted to be. Right. And then all the rules I just thought were stupid and I hated the rules the more and more I had to do them. Um, And probably by the time I got to my teens and I started liking girls and girls started liking me and I wanted to have a girlfriend. I, I hated the church so much that I'd be like, I wish my parents would just get divorced or my dad would have an affair. I just wish I had some reason to not be Mormon anymore. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. like you interesting. Did you like, okay, this, this is always something curious to me because mm-hmm. um, some people have different, um perspectives on it right like i kept all the rules but i never really like believed it but you didn't Mm -hmm. want to be mormon did you believe it like did you buy it so my dad like when he'd do bedtime with me and my brother (laughs) when we were little Mm -hmm. uh he'd read to us out of either like the book of mormon reader or the old testament reader or whatever and we'd read all these awesome stories of moses parting the red sea and you know just your typical epic hero stories at the same time, like we had this book full of Greek mythology and he'd read to us about Hercules. So I liked these stories about heroes in the scriptures. So I always kind of had this tie to scriptures into scripture stories, but, and I think because it was just drilled into my head from a young age, I just kind of felt like there was a God mm-hmm. looking over me and watching all my actions and stuff like that. Then in my teen years, I think I had some awkward social situations where, I would just, I done or said something stupid and I thought I was going to lose all my popularity or whatever. And I'd pray and beg God to spare me. And then it would kind of blow over hmm. and it would blow over naturally like middle school news does, but I would right. associate it to the miracle of, of God looking out for me. Right. So I did have some desperate moments in my youth where I, you know, prayed and and I would see my prayers coming true. Interesting. Yeah, that uh, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like when we pray and then we just ascribe it, you know, where like mm-hmm. something goes right or it goes wrong. If it goes right, it's like, wow, the Lord blessed us. If it goes wrong, we're like, it wasn't his will, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> you know? Um, but the, the idea that he is not there at all doesn't enter your mind. It, yeah, it didn't enter like, your mind at least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just has to be there. Um so okay, so you grow up, you're you're praying, you're like doing the stuff, mm-hmm. um, but you hate being Mormon. Well, I started living a double life, right? Like right. I started get, having girlfriends when I was fourteen, and we'd make out, and I'd lie through bishop interviews, and then I'd look at pornography, and then I learned about masturbation, and right, all you know, I which is common, but I just learned how to lie to my parents, and I start living a double life. I think one thing that started to retrench me into Mormonism is that. Like, especially when I was younger, I was very argumentative and I hated being wrong. Mm-hmm. Now I'm mildly argumentative and I mildly hate being wrong. Um, but when I was a teenager, it was very intense. And so I start making friends who are evangelicals and they start learning about how Mormonism is a cult. And I think that started to actually retrench me into Mormonism is that I had to argue and defend it, even though I actually didn't 
care about it and in a lot of ways resented it. But then when I had to start defending it, I started converting myself like inadvertently. Right. 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 Just because I had to be right. Right. Interesting. So you like, it was like auto indoctrination. Like you, yeah. you had to yeah. be right. So you're saying it and saying it and saying it until it like sounds true. To you. But it's not that I'm like bearing my testimony. I'm going in and like Bible bashing with these kids. Right. 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 And reading the scriptures more and reading talks and apologetics and stuff. And right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then at what point, like, was there a point in your youth where you were like doubting and when you were like, oh, let's not. I was always seeking an answer. Yeah. Um, and I, and I take challenges to pray and stuff like that. And, and um, I think like in high school, here's one thing that was frustrating for me. And I think if it, if I'd had a different social experience in the church, I might've stayed, might've enjoyed my time. But what was frustrating for me was the girls at church never cared for me and I didn't play basketball mm-hmm. and I didn't do the stereotypical things at church, but I, girls outside of church liked me and I could always get a girlfriend outside of church and they right. weren't like trolls, right? Like they weren't, and I, I like, I don't mean to be rude, but it wasn't like I went out with, you know, just found some dog and, and <laughs> right. Or, or some crass one, like they were always, they were, they played sports or they're in drama or they're good academically or whatever. Like they were, you nice know, girls. Yeah. nice girls. It, so it wasn't like I was, there was something defective with me. Right. I could get a girlfriend who was a normal high functioning person. Right. It was just the girls at church never cared for me. So that just made me more angry, hmm. I think. Right. Right. So you're a bit of an incel. But not because I had girlfriends. Right, right. right. It was just, I was right. like it a was Mormon just, incel. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It was just with regards to Mormonism. Yeah. It, Interesting. Did that like so I, lead you away? No, it just made me angry to participate. But I think like, I just always felt more comfortable with girls outside of the church. And honestly, like I felt more comfortable. My guy friends usually ended up being outside of the church and I just felt more comfortable with them. And it was just like at church, if I didn't play sports, I, there was no social group for that. Right. Right. And I'm not athletic and don't have a big interest in sports, but outside of church, I found friends who just wanted to like watch movies and, and talk about movies and books and other stuff. And so all the groups of kids that I ended up falling in with were outside of the church. Hmm. And so it was always like this, the church was something I was trying to fit into that didn't care for me was kind of how I felt. Right. Right. And then, okay, but you did go on a mission. Yeah. So why? Like what? Was it just social? I'd say that was the biggest driver. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did, like I had experiences as a kid, as a youth that I'd say were, you know, sincere experiences that convinced me at the time that the church was true. I really just didn't want to evangelize and I didn't want to deal with the rejection. Right. Similar thing to what you said, like I didn't see the church as a benefit enough that I needed to tell other people how it was going to change their life. It was really hard for me to see how convincing other people to join the church would be beneficial. But I remember like bashing with a friend uh, in grade 10 and I was really really upset because he was just being like a big dickhead hmm. and it kind of seemed like it was coming out of nowhere and i'm reading in ether chapter two which is like the book of ether is something i laugh about a lot now right as the most ridiculous part of the book of mormon but yeah. at this time i'm reading and and it's talking about the brother of jared and 
and the Lord says, I can't prepare you for these things. You know, it just talked about like preparing the brother of Jared to deal with something that was harder. And that really, I'm having this experience because it's preparing me to be a missionary. And it was, you know, a testimony building experience for me. And then I, yeah, I was um, like in high school, I started to get a bit more normal. Right. Mm-hmm. I, and, and accepted a bit more socially. Um, and I had a girlfriend and we dated all through high school and we fooled around a bunch. Um, but I remember I was walking home from school with a girl who's a member. And she said to me, like, you know what, Andrew, I don't really know what you're getting up to with your girlfriend, but I think you need to think more seriously about your mission. And she just, she spoke to me and she was very understanding and compassionate and told me like, you should be thinking about your mission. And if you are doing anything with your girlfriend, I can tell you from my own personal experience, like I used to have a boyfriend and we used to fool around a lot, but my bishop was really understanding. My parents were really understanding and nothing was as bad as what I thought it was. So if that's the kind of stuff you're getting tied up in, then maybe you should. And I just, it was like, oh my gosh, here's somebody who just knows where I'm at. Right, right. And and has really given me useful advice. So I went home that night, I confessed everything to my bishop and then confessed everything to my parents and kind of had a changing experience I saw it as like an Alma, the younger Paul kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so that was sincere and meaningful for me. Yeah. And I just saw a mission as a way to gain more social acceptance. Hmm. I think I like, and I would say like, of course I'm looking back at that with a certain lens. Right. Yeah. Right. At the time I ascribed this whole experience to divine intervention. Right. Um, and, but I'd say like, realistically it was, here's this girl who's offering me more social cred in the church talking about a mission. If I want a Mormon girl to be interested in me, then I need to go on a mission. Right. Right. Um, And so I kind of, yeah. And so then I stopped all my sins um, and, but I didn't actually prepare to go on a mission. (laughs) I didn't like start reading my scriptures and working through preach my gospel and stuff like that. We also had a lot of missionaries uh, who are just cool guys. Hmm. Uh, who were friends to me around that high school time. And so mission kind of seemed like a more plausible thing to do. But I think always it was the mission is the thing that'll give me acceptance in this community that I was forced into. Right. Instead of just finding my people outside the church and being happy with that. Right. Right. You kind of felt pushed in, in, into a mission and kind of like, sounds like there were a lot of things that were just at the right time. Yeah. To kind of push you, nudge you in that direction. Yeah. And like growing up in the church and looking for signs and looking for answers from God, I just kind of had a fanciful, magical kind of worldview anyway. So then I kept dating my girlfriend though, and we kept dating all through high school. But even then I was kind of back and forth about it because I just kind of wanted to get on with Mormon life. And she was like, no, I think I could see myself joining the church. And I was like, even then I was like, well, I like, just do it because you want to. And I don't see any genuine interest coming from you. So this is like a lifelong commitment and garments and all this weird stuff. Like you don't want to deal with, you don't know what you're talking about kind of, but then after high school, like I knew I needed to get out of the relationship. I knew she needed to get out of the relationship. Honestly, like I think like, it's just, you're, we were both so immature. I knew we needed to get out of the relationship. We needed to get away from each other and move on with our lives. Um, but she was a lot more emotionally invested in me. But anyway, I had a, a what I called a spiritual experience or a moment of revel- revelation that just said, you have to end this relationship. Like enough's enough. You've dragged us on. It's going to come to an end. Just get over it. 
get on with it. And I'm trying to break up with her, but she's bawling her eyes out and I don't know how to handle or navigate any of this. So I just finally, like, she's really trying to just make me, you said you loved me and you said, and you said, and you said, and I'm like, look, God told me <laughs> <laughs> this isn't happening anymore. This is over. God commanded. God, God spoke to me. I had to back up to that, which ended up, you know, I come home from my mission and she went to the University of Calgary for a couple of semesters and still stayed friends with a lot of Mormons. But that ended up people are like, oh, I met your girlfriend at UFC. Oh, yeah. So God like told you to break up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't go to my 10 year high school reunion. Part of it was because we were moving out to BC. The other part was I'm that's who I'm going to be if I go yeah. if I go here, this is who I'm going to be. And I'm not just not even dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. Although look at the growth you could have shown off been like oh yeah i don't do that anymore i got yeah, it well at like at that point in time at my like at my 10-year reunion i was still in oh right right i was still in the church that was 2015 right when it, right when my 10-year reunion was so yeah still went on a mission and um but at the same time like in a constant state of dissonance like did not want to be on a mission but forcing myself to be on a mission forcing myself to evangelize even though i didn't want to so did you really then, even enjoy it at all I ended up being successful because I was such a hard worker. Right. So I ended up leading the mission in baptisms and then I became a district leader and my district led the mission in baptisms. And then you came home and worked for Vivint. No. <laughs> well, the thing was, was I didn't, I didn't associate any of the skills I was learning as a missionary with business skills. Right. I really thought they were genuinely, I was like an apostle in the new Testament. Right. Right. And, and so I didn't do any of the slimy stuff that some other successful missionaries do who end up going to work for Vivint. I didn't see it as an MLM. I was very, I was very direct. I was like, from the Church of Jesus Christ, we want to come in your house and we want to teach you about Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. Hmm. And if they said no, I just moved on. But I told everybody exactly what I was there to do. Right. And if they're like, oh, I don't want to convert to your church, and I'd be like, well, once you listen to us talk and feel the spirit, you might want to, right? Or they'd say, I know you guys just want to convert me. And I'd say, yeah, so what? Like I was just like, I was direct. I didn't, right. I didn't feel good lying or misrepresenting my intentions. Right. 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 Hmm. I didn't, I start, I did that at first because other guys were doing it, but as I did it, I felt uncomfortable with it. And I just ended up being direct and telling people what I was there to do. Right. Right. And, Interesting. and I've, and I became successful at that. I just didn't realize that I was learning sales skills. Right. Did that convert did. you more? Like, did that further entrench you? Yes. Yeah. Because I was seeing. It was this thing I didn't want to do. I was kicking against the pricks. I was like Paul again. Mm -hmm. This wasn't the life I wanted to live, but now I'm good at it. And the Lord used me the weakest, the most resistant of all of his creations to fulfill his purpose. Hmm. And so just the fact that I was successful retrenched me even more. Right. And right? then getting home, yeah. uh, tell, tell me about that, coming home and where you went from there. So I was wound up. So I, I was still, I battled the dissonance the whole time. So how do you battle dissonance? You retrench. I retrenched, I retrenched and wound myself up so much. I had a friend who's also left the church. He told me I came home from my mission and he said, I was so devout. He didn't know if I was joking or not. Was that counselor Davis? No, it was a different, different oh, a friend. Different... Yeah. Uh, affiliated with the dry cleaning family. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he said, I didn't know if I could take you serious or not. And I said, you know what the scary thing is, is that I was a hundred percent dead serious. Yeah. 
And that was where like the retrenchment made me a Pharisee and I became more intense and more Pharisaical. And it was hard to date. It was hard to socialize. It became very frustrating because I would be in these dating situations. And I was like, I was better at dealing with this when I was 14 than what I am now at 21, 22, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. That was really, and I was like, but I was righteous and did everything I was supposed to. And I was successful. That I think was something that really was hard for me to learn that like, it was like, I am as committed as what I was when I was hyper successful as a missionary. Hmm. Why isn't this working for me now? Hmm. That became very confusing. Right. So it ended up imploding in an anxiety disorder and I took medication for like four years. Yeah. Well, and then uh, you did get married too. Yep. So, okay. Tell tell me about that experience. Cause that's, I will never get married in the temple. <laughs> Just about getting married in the temple or about meeting my wife or about courtship or. Um, yeah, the whole, I guess the whole kind of tell, tell me that story. Cause you did it within that church context. Right. So we, we met at like at a, at the Vandergrift house. <laughs> if, if you, Oh, I guess it's ended, right? Nobody lives there anymore, but there's just this house. It had a bunch of university girls who were living there together, all oh, okay. members of the church and the, the people who own the house were members of the church. And anyway, um, so we, her and all her roommates were having a bunch of people over and I went, we just flirted and I got her phone number and we went out on a date and whatever. Um, but I was really burnt out emotionally from, and, and dealing with anxiety from dating and stuff like that. So I didn't call her after our first date. And I was just like, if she's interested, she'll call me. And then she texted me like furiously. Hmm. <laughs> what kind of guy goes on a date and doesn't call a girl after and, and whatever. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then she asked me on our second date. And then uh, she was like, my wife was, she was trying her hardest to be a good Mormon. But I just kind of felt like it. I'm coloring this a bit because I didn't fully recognize it at the time, but she didn't feel like the other Mormon girls I'd gone out with. She wasn't like super Mormon. She was just somebody who was trying to be Mormon, but she felt a lot more like the girls I went out with in high school. Interesting. Like a human. Yes. She felt a lot more human and just like a normal person. And I was kind of always like worried about her devotion or commitment level. I was worried about everybody's devotion and commitment compared (laughs) to mine. Right. Exaltations of family matter. So you exactly. got to be right? worried. So, but hers as well. But the things that stood out to me about her is she's very direct. She's bold. You always know where you stand with her. Um, she speaks her mind. What you see is what you get. Uh, fiercely loyal. Um, and so those things about like honesty and loyalty, which were not like exactly Mormon values. <laughs> right. But I, I was like, these are, intensely valuable personal characteristics that you'd want in a life partner. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was what I, I fell in love with really. And then, um, yes, we got married in the temple. I think for me, and I think as a man in the church, the temple can be a meet, the temple marriage can be meaningful because it is about your aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you just kind of, in my mind, lumped it along. Well, we're a married unit, so I'm getting exalted. So you're getting exalted. Like, what's the matter here? But for the woman, it's a very depressing experience. Right. I think. Right. And so for me, it was super meaningful. I think for her at the time, 
it was meaningful because she was, you know, doing, she was checking the boxes. Right. I can't speak for her, but I, I would just think as an observer, um, it's meaningful in the sense that you're checking the boxes and your parents are very proud of you. And I felt like, you know, a lot of vindication that I'd met all my parents' expectations and done everything that they wanted me to do. And so it felt good. I think it was, and a lot of things have been this way. Um, blessing my children was like this. Um, even the wedding night, um, which like we didn't have any issues, mm-hmm. um, but shame issues, at least I didn't. But it was kind of like the way it gets hyped up, the way intercourse and sex gets hyped up in the church, you expect it to be a spiritual experience. We didn't do anything weird like pray before. Right, right. But there, like there's this talk by Jeffrey R. Holland called of soul symbols and sacraments, or maybe it's a whole book or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I, you, you come to think of it as this holy act and sacrament. And it was just like anything else. And I did not feel the spirit. And in some way I was weirdly expecting it to feel spiritual and same thing, like kneeling across the altar. I didn't feel the spirit and it felt just like I was in any other room in any other place. There's nothing special about the place we were, which was weird. Right. Um, It felt just as mechanical as doing baptisms for the dead. Right. Right. It was just kind of a, Oh yeah, we do this all the time, just a ritualized. Yeah, it and was not just even, and like kind of with the specialness, like it didn't feel like it had a lot of the specialness that you expected. Yes, it was just like I was expecting to feel a lot and I didn't feel a lot. I was expecting to feel a lot of spiritual things and I didn't feel any spiritual things. Hmm. It was not spiritual as other spiritual experiences that I'd had. It felt very robotic and my, we ended up when we moved to BC, we moved into the ward of the person who sealed us. Hmm. And I said, hi to him. And he's like, do I know you from somewhere? Genuinely. He wow. was like, I'm sorry. You seem to know me, but I don't know you. Right. Remind me how you married us. Oh, did I? Oh, well, yeah, I have performed a few marriages. Wow. Right. Like That'd that was weird. weird. We moved, we moved to BC like you know, four years after we got married. Yeah. So it had been some time, but for the just, uninitiated BC is British Columbia, British Columbia province yeah, in Canada. So, yeah. Uh, moved to British Columbia. Um, but he, that was like a, a weird thing. Cause I imagine that if you go get a pastor to do your wedding and they write up your vows or they're going to remember you in some way, they'll at least remember the face. Right. And hopefully, and I mean, a lot of people choose somebody who they have a relationship with yes, too, right? Yes, like as well. usually yeah. it's like, Oh, my pastor. But then I think in the church, a lot of the times there is that, Oh, they have sealers at the temple. Just, you know, pick one of them. It's that guy. Yeah. 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 And I, I know some people who, Oh, it's their grandpa or it's like, you know, some other, relative or close family friend or, or something. But yeah, yeah, I guess with a lot of people, it's probably, it probably is just, we're just going for an ordinance. Yes. And it, like, it felt that way. And interesting. And yeah. And uh, so we had a couple of kids. I mean, we're still together. What, where do you want to go from here? Yeah. I'm curious to hear <laughs> about like leaving. Cause right. you know, like I left, I don't have any responsibilities or attachments Right. I can just say, yep, this is my life. Right. Like mm-hmm. I could say tomorrow I'm 
moving to New Zealand as soon as the border opens and then I can just go, right? Mm -hmm. And not yeah. worry or check with anybody. So what was that experience like? Um, just like coming to this, these decisions that you guys made to, so, to, leave. to leave the church. So my wife always had an issue with polygamy, hmm. always. And it was kind of something that she, like I knew she had it on her shelf when we got married. Yeah. And it was like to even mention the word was very, very upsetting. Hmm. Right. Um, so then rough stone rolling came out. CS letter came out like, and, and she was like, she wasn't legalistic and I was. And so sometimes that would, she'd get herbal tea and I'd be like, what's this? And herbal tea is okay. And I'd be like appearance <laughs> of evil. And have you, you seen, know I, uh, have you seen interstellar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when Casey Affleck comes in and he's like, what is this? When they're like <laughs> checking on the heart health of the kid and stuff, when the right, doctor's right. got, yeah. he's like, what is this? That's how, <laughs> what I'm imagining you. <laughs> that was pretty, like, that was it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, um, that, so she always had some kind of issues and there were other things where it was just like, um, I was the executive secretary when we were first married and we um, I'd go do service and she's like, you're already going to all these meetings. Why are you going to do other service activities? Like hmm. I'm like, Hey, like this is what's supposed to be the most meaningful thing in life is serving the church. Why don't you have a better attitude about this and whatever. And what I realized was when, like when we had our interview to get married, the stake president asked me between every question if we were keeping the law of chastity. Right. And when you're getting interrogated and you believe that this man has the gift of discernment, I thought that God was telling him something. So we had fooled around a little, like we really, we were in the lightest shade of the gray area. Right. And I had already talked to the Bishop about it and he said it was no big deal and to not worry about it so much. Yeah. Um, and the stake, pre but the stake present just kept asking. So I confessed and I said, but I've talked to the Bishop every time it's happened and he doesn't seem to think it's a big deal. So I don't, you tell me what to do. Cause I don't know. Right. Right. And he's like, you promised me that you never you gave me a list of conditions and I will give you your temple recommend. I'm like, okay. And then my wife went in for her recommend after. Yeah. And we awkwardly pass each other. And I just feel like, cause I sold her out. Yeah. And so he asks her first question, are you keeping the law of chastity? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, that's, I think he called her a liar. What? And then said, that's not what Andrew or uh, Bishop Jensen just told me. And so she always had this thing about me being more loyal to the church than to her. Right. Which from the earliest days of our marriage, thanks to the state president, I had shown my true colors, right? Yeah. That I was loyal to the church above all else. So yeah, they control it, you with a little piece of paper and a scrap of bread. Right. Yes. So it was, that became a weird thing. And it was always kind of like, are you choosing the church over me? And to me, it was, I, I didn't get it, but I think that's what I would say is I think from her perspective, it's totally different. If yeah. I'd been sold out, if it had been, if things had been re reversed, I don't know if I still would have gotten married. I, I don't know. I don't know why she married me still after that, mm -hmm. honestly. Right. Um, but anyway, so there were always kind of weird things like that. And then she, um, 
I think it was rough stone rolling. She read, she learned about the nitty gritty of polygamy. It just gets worse. The more you learn about it. And then um, one day she just told me like, I can't do church anymore. The other thing was the finding out the apostles pay stubs that really upset her asking for uh, tithing from poor people in the world. And then the, the general authorities getting paid a hundred grand. Right. And, and we, I, I remember like, she's learning about this stuff and she's texting me in the middle of work and I'm like trying to hang on to my testimony, but I'm, you know, and I'm like, look, they're managing billions of assets. Do you know how much the CEO of Red Cross gets paid? This is pennies and bought, you know, um, justifying it in any way. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so then she said she is done. And honestly, like divorce goes through your, your mind. And she told me she was terrified that I was going to try and get divorced. And what I said to her and what I said to myself was, it's highly hypocritical for me to be in a church that says family is the most important thing in the world and that the family is eternal. And then to turn around and get divorced Hmm. because we can't make this work. That was just, I said, I can't, I can't see how I can, could explain to our kids us getting divorced over this Hmm. and then say that families, I can't, I just, my kids would lose respect for me if I did something like that. Right. So we're going to, we're going to work through this. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. Like that was really hard, but uh, because you, you can't have a, you can't be a part member family without changing your level of commitment to the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You Uh, have to kind of give up something. mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to compromise and the church is very uncompromising in its rhetoric. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and your covenants in the temple. Right. So yeah. it was, it was hard coming to terms with that. I, yeah. So, so then your wife leaves first, which I feel like is a more unusual thing. Mm-hmm. In most of the stories that I hear, it's the guy leaves. And I think that's pretty common. Uh, right. Men tend to be less religious than, mm-hmm. than women in, my experience and i think i've seen surveys like that yeah um and so when did when did you start your your path out then following her okay i've got to give a timeline because this is going to be it's going to get a little confusing so we moved to british columbia in 2015 as an aside as a small diversion she gets called into young women's and she's pregnant at the time and there's another counselor in the young women's presidency who's pregnant Mm-hmm. We've moved into the ward that her parents are in that my wife grew up in and there the ward is throwing a bridal shower for this other counselor in the young, in young women's, hmm. but nobody's throwing one for my wife. And then they're asking my wife to help out at this other baby shower. Oh, that's kind of awkward. And we were having our second kid and this other family is having their second kid. And cause some people say, well, you know, you guys are having your second kid. And usually it's like the first kid, you need to get a bunch of gifts to get started, but then you right. just hand me down. So the second kid, it's less of a big deal. It's like they're having their second kid too. Right. It was like the same like, situation. Just you were. Yeah. We're getting looked over because her family has been in the ward for years and was kind of like a key family in the ward for many years. And it, that was right. the kind of way it felt is like, nobody cares about us. Right. Like this is, you know, and that other girl who they threw a bride, uh, baby shower for, they had just moved into the ward. Like we had both just moved into the ward at the same oh, time. Really? Yeah. And so it was really, that was really hard for my wife. So that's 2015. So socially the ward is just not 
Yeah. Gelling. Right. Yeah. And then 2016, I'm going for a long bike ride and I'm listening to the book of Mormon on tape and I'm trying, cause we have a book of Mormon challenge and I'm in the elders corn presidency and I'm leading the charge and all this stuff. And then I get this overwhelming feeling just listening to it. Cause the book of Mormon is like stream of consciousness gibberish. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You can very much tell that it is a oral dictation and it's not someone was writing and thinking while they were writing. It's all just kind of, and that stands out to me this time while I'm listening to it. And I have this overwhelming spiritual confirmation that Joseph Smith made up the book of Mormon. Hmm. And I almost pull over my bike on the side of the road and start bawling my eyes out Hmm. because it's like devastating. It was devastating and freeing at the same time, but I just thought the Lord will make this work for me. He will figure this out. That's 2016. So the only thing that's happening to my wife's testimony up until that point in time is social rejection from the Lord or social indifference from the Lord. Like you actually were starting to come to this conclusion already. Yeah. And then I sit on it. And then 2017 is when she gets really upset about polygamy. And the so while she's venting to me about polygamy and general authorities getting paid, I'm struggling to hang on to my testimony. But I did not talk to her about it because I was like, if I work through this on my own, this could shatter somebody else's testimony. I don't want to shatter somebody else's testimony until I've worked through this. Right. So I'm keeping this to myself. You're trying to be strong. Yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. So I'm keeping it together. And then 2017, she's done. And then we have a few conversations like, what are we going to do with the kids and stuff like that? Have I talked about the Keurig on the podcast? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you have. I did. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I don't, I don't need to rehash the Keurig, but just go back a couple episodes and listen to me talk yeah, about the Keurig it, battle. It's somewhere in there. But we have, but part of the reason why we had the Keurig battle was because I'm hanging on to the shreds of my testimony, but I see it like I'm losing the fight and it's like my my last stand is this Keurig, right? Right. Um, Got to get it out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. And so we talk about the kids and what we come to is I'm not, she will not tell the kids not to go to church. I will not tell the kids to go to church. I will get ready Sunday morning. If they want to come with me, they can. And of course they don't because church sucks. <laughs> like church is deathly boring, right? So the yeah. kids don't come. My daughter comes every now and then because I think church is really designed for like primary is made for little girls. Yeah. It's not made for energetic boys. Yeah. Right? And no. I don't want to be a binary genderist or whatever, but like. I did hate girl, primary. I loved the yeah. rest of church, but primary was dumb. Yeah. Boys don't want to stand up and, and girls are kind of socialized to like sit down and be nice and blah, blah, blah. And they kind of get rewarded for sitting and looking nice. Right. But boys don't, and boys just have a bunch of energy and want to run around outside. So anyway, sometimes my daughter would come, my son never came. And then Russell Nelson gets called as president of the church and says, dumber thing after dumber thing after dumber thing. And I cannot it's like the emperor has no clothes. He's calling things revelations that aren't revelations, right? You know, like small management changes. And you can go back and see like when they changed to the three hour block from like, cause back when they used to do like Sunday school on a Monday night and, and priesthood meeting on a Tuesday, like the three hour block used to take up the whole week and then they condensed it to three hour block. There's a memo, there's a press release or whatever. Yeah. And they talk about how they did research and studies and tested this. And it's a very business memo. Yeah. But then they go to two hour church and it is the Lord has given us a revelation (laughs) that church should be two hours and the other hour should be studying from home. And people are like, can you believe they're letting us study at home? And I'm like, they've been telling you to study from home since before I was born. (laughs) Yeah. 
but the new manual. And then we watch like this infomercial for come follow me. And it's like, and it is like, it's like many families are wondering how to deal with the temptations and tribulations of life. And then it's one of the apostles and he's like that. He holds up the manual. He's like, which is why we provided you with come follow me for children and families. And it's, and then there's like, you know, endorsements. And it's like, we've been using come follow me and we feel so much more spiritual. I'm like, I I'm watching an infomercial. This is insane. Right. I could not like, it was just, and then like ministering, well, we're asking less of you brethren, but that really means we're asking more of you, but actually we're asking for less. And then like they merged the elders quorum and the elders quorum president they called was kind of like a by the book guy. And he, frustrated me. And I think the reason why he frustrated me was because if I was an elders quorum president, I would have been just like him. So it was like looking into a mirror, right? Very legalistic by the book kind of. Um, and so it's like, this is the church has gone crazy. I feel like I'm in North Korea. I've got to pray to the dear leader. Like I can't fake this anymore. Right. My testimony has demolished, but I'm going because I don't even know why like just tradition and indoctrination is yeah. making me continue to go because I believe it's the right thing. But Russell Nelson was like, you know, that episode of the office where they're doing the, the beach games. Yeah. And, and Michael Scott's like, this is how I will choose my replacement as manager. And then all of a sudden Stanley's on board, but then he does the coal walk or whatever. And Stanley's like, goodbye. Yeah. Like it was, it came to a point where it's too much for Stanley. He could not, you know, and that was what happened. I had a Stanley moment. It was just like, okay, this is just too much. This yeah. is retarded. And, and at the same time, I'm thinking about all these messed up interviews with state presidents and all the stupid things I went along with. And I was angry every day. And the only thing that made me not be angry was thinking my children will never sit through one of these interviews ever. Because that was when I make a mistake at work. The only thing my boss asked me is how did this happen? And what are you doing to make sure it never happens again? Mm -hmm. So that was what was going through my head was it was just, okay, this interview thing was really messed up. What are we doing to make sure nothing like this ever happens again? Nothing. Oh, well, you can let an adult come in. Yeah. The adult who you are just as afraid of as the Bishop, you don't have an advocate. There's no real way for for bishops or state presidents to be held accountable. They haven't fixed the problem. Right. So that's what keeps going through my head is yes. What happened to me was awful. What are we doing to make sure it never happens again? Nothing. The only way I can be at peace with what happened to me is make sure it never happens to my children. Yeah. Hmm. And so once I decided not to participate anymore, all my anger went away. Hmm. It's freeing. Yeah. It was freeing because it was, and that's the piece that I feel now is that knowing that my kids will never know what Mormonism is hmm. because we don't talk about it. We talk about grandma and grandpa's church, but we don't call it by name. Interesting. And they will never, I will do everything I can to make sure they never know what Mormonism is. Hmm. So they know that their cousins are getting baptized into grandma and grandpa's church, but they don't know what baptism means. When we talk about Christmas, I say Christmas is the time of year where Satan and Jesus battle for the fate of the world. <laughs> That's why it gets cloudy and rainy. Like they will, for what I can do, understand none of this. And that will give me peace. Hmm. That's interesting. That's really interesting how, 
like how hard you clung to it right for so long yeah yeah and then and then it was just too much Mm -hmm. it was just like i've tolerated the last amount of bullshit that i can handle like yeah i don't believe it is literally true yeah but maybe it's a good place for me to be or maybe i'll figure it out but then it's like remember all that effed up stuff that happened to you in interviews and how that almost destroyed the start of your marriage and other things like that and it's like my kids can have no part of this Right. I do not want them to have the life I had. Hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. Well, uh, anything else you want to add to that, Bishop? I guess a couple things like on my way out, I've, I had, it was probably September 2018 where I was really on the fence. And then by December, I'd made up my mind I was done. But my wife didn't believe me because I was so devout. But from September till December, I had just been putting our tithing into a savings account hmm. and I hadn't paid it. And my wife was actually surprisingly supportive. She didn't say half of our money is mine. You're only paying tithing on half our money. She'd let me pay tithing on the whole thing, which I, you know, couldn't believe she didn't fight me on that, which was amazing. Um, but I was afraid that our house was going to burn down. If, if I spent that money that I'd set aside really, or, or if I'd committed to not, you know, I it was in the savings account on the fence and I knew the Lord was kind of like, well, you set that money aside for me. You're just working through some things, but as long as it's set aside, then we're good. Right. Right. As soon as I said, like, this is going into a long-term savings account or RSP or, or we're spending it on Christmas presents or whatever, it was kind of, that would be it. And so I told her I was done. And I was like, I'm really, I don't believe in the church, but I am petrified that the house is going to burn down. She's like, you could pay your high tithing and the house could still burn down. What would you do then? I was like, okay. And so I kept getting strong-armed into tithing settlement. The executive secretary kept pestering me. And so I said, okay, I'll, uh, I'll come. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm going to church. She's like, why? I thought you're done. We're done with this. And I was like, I'm going to go to tithing settlement. I'm telling the bishop I'm done. Hmm. And my son decided to come with me or my wife was like, just take one of the kids with you then. Right. Get one of the kids out of the house or both. She took my son with me. My son's in this tithing settlement thing with me. And I'm bawling my eyes out, telling the bishop about how I've lost my testimony. and can't pay tithing anymore. And uh, my son still remembers that. Me, He was like three. No, he was five. He was five. But he's, that stands out to him a lot. He's like, I've seen you cry before, dad. I'm like, He's when he's like, you know, when we were at church, I'm like, when, when you were talking to that guy in the room, like that whole thing stands out to him as a, as a a weird experience for him. And then I still had a calling as a Sunday school teacher. And I told the Bishop, the Bishop got called into the stake presidency. And I thought he'd pass notes on to the new Bishop or say like, maybe talk to this guy, but apparently they're not allowed to do that. Have we talked about this? No, no, we haven't. Okay. Apparently they're not allowed to pass on notes. So I keep going to church. I, and I definitely I'm, know bishops who have passed on notes, but. Oh, do they? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But so, I guess nope. they're not allowed to. So I have, I don't get released and I'm trying to disappear slowly. Yeah. I don't want to abruptly leave. I just want to fade. I want to wait until they release me. And then I'm just going to say, I don't want another calling and please don't contact my family again. I don't want to march into the bishop's office and say, I'm giving you my two weeks notice or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go quietly. That was the only way it was emotionally 
devastating. So the only way I could walk away was quietly for me. Hmm. I didn't want to make a big scene going out because I'd seen people do that on Facebook. I didn't want to make a scene. I didn't want to be like them. So it's December for tithing settlement. We get a new bishop. He doesn't ask to see me. Nobody asks to see me. And I'm doing like all the things I can do to signal that I'm not committed. I stop wearing a tie. I stop wearing a white shirt. I'm, I only, I don't show up for sacrament meeting. I only show up to teach my class. When I do teach my class, I give him a five minute spiritual thought that's borderline. And then we talk about Marvel movies or whatever, right? Because 2018, that's like when infinity war came out or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Or one of them, something Marvel, one of them did. Right. Yeah. And uh, so we're talking about Marvel movies and stuff. And then, I'm having like a very, very fringe conversation with the students about something doctrinal about how we can know the Bible's not literal or something like that, because I'm trying my best, but I can't like, it is hard for me to stomach the lesson. And a member of the bishopric walks in and I have to derail the conversation to something else. And it's very, very awkward and very, very abrupt. And it was terrible, you know, 15 minutes with that member of the bishopric there watching, like just awkward and terrible. And so like two weeks later, I get an invitation to meet with a different member of the bishopric. I'm like, okay. And he was my home teacher when my wife went inactive. So he kind of knows my situation. And he's like, we want to make you a young men's leader because you've worked so well with the youth. I thought I was going to get chewed out for doing crappy lessons, (laughs) right? Or released or something. We want to put you in young men's. I'm like, nah, not a good fit. Does this have something to do with your wife? And now I'm like, excuse me. And no, it has nothing to do with her. And he's like, well, what's the, he keeps fishing. And I keep saying, no, I don't think it's going to be a good fit. Yeah. I just don't want another calling. And so, but he keeps fishing for the reason. So I'm like, at this stage, I'm very, very emotional about it. So I start bawling my eyes out, tell him about how I've lost my testimony. And I did everything I could to make it work. And these are all the terrible interviews and terrible state presidents who were absolutely awful with no system of accountability. This is absolutely insane. My kids will never have no part of this. You know, but I, and he starts looking at his watch because I'm taking so much time, <laughs> but I was like, no, you wanted a fish. You got the fish. Here's a big fish. And I told him everything. Hmm. And, uh, in retrospect, if I could have done it over again, I would have just walked into the Bishop's office, you know, like at that tithing center, I would have walked into the new Bishop's office said, I don't know if anybody passed John notes. I don't have a testimony. Please. I will slum through this as much as I can, but I'm giving you four weeks to find a new person. I'll give you a month. Right. And then you got to figure it out because I can't do this anymore. Hmm. Right. That was and, very considerate of you to <laughs> give them time. I, I, I would have like, just I, left. Cause I, yeah, I know like it, my wife's family was in the ward. Like I, there's a family reputation. Right. I guess if there's extent, like relation, other relationships you're dealing with. To, like, I don't want to just be a dickhead about it. Right. 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 I don't want to do any, I don't want to embarrass. It, it wasn't my family it was my in-laws. Right. In another way. It wasn't even, you know, I don't mind embarrassing my family, but <laughs> embarrassing somebody else's family. <laughs> right. I've been embarrassing my own family my whole life. Right. Um, you know, so that yeah that would be the whole conclusion so i like it well yeah thanks bishop uh there yeah. are our mormon stories yeah <laughs> this was a, a great personal priesthood interview a little bit different from what has been in the past normally do yeah, yeah yeah but uh to all of our friends in the united states happy fourth of july 
uh, congratulations on your treason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hope you enjoyed your Sabbath. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs>